Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back, dear listeners. So today we are going to be laying out a nine-step plan to help you build better movement patterns. Now, this episode will make much more sense to you if you have watched or listened, I would say watched, if you've listened to our episode, Movement is Neural. So if you have not listened to that episode, I would recommend you go back and lay the foundation. We will reference and recap some of what we talked about there in this episode, but that is the one we really went into the nuts and bolts, hows and whys behind the very, very practical steps that you are going to hear today. But if you don't care about that, you just want the practical steps. Cool. Great. We've got them. So Forrest, let's dive in. Nine steps to build better movement patterns. What's number one? Nine. Number one is train recovered. So don't try to build a new or a better movement pattern on top of a base of burnout and fatigue. Mm-hmm. Fair. Seems deal with your burnout, yeah. deal with your fatigue. If you are overtraining, fix that first because you're not going to make a lot of headway on your movement patterns that are maybe not as optimal or affecting your performance until you deal with the burnout. And remember, friends, that when we say burnout, we mean not just athletic burnout. We also mean burnout from all areas of your life because as we emphasize in episode after episode, it's all connected. You can't separate one from the other. So if you're having trouble reprogramming your movement patterns and it's because you are maybe really busy at work or there's family or home stuff going on, just remember that that plays into this as well. Yeah. And obviously, you can't wait till there's no stressors and, sure. and things like that. In your week, think of it strategically then. Think mm -hmm. of you want to build new neural patterns on the days that you're the most recovered. And don't pick the day after a hardcore conditioning session to work on building new movement patterns. You just mm -hmm. you have to strategize. Yep. All right. Number two. Num number two is choose real movements to train. So our brain wants to have real movements. It thinks of things in their functionality. Mm -hmm. So in a training program that's only looking at using a pec deck to strengthen the pec major or Super specific using a one muscle group or one muscle yeah. exercises don't make as much sense or, to the brain. Mm -hmm. Or using a just a static hamstring stretch to stretch the hamstrings, like those isolated movements have to be in the context of of a bigger picture movement you know mm -hmm. we want more hamstring mobility so that we have a better hinge or can touch our toes more comfortably things like that things that that actually make sense to the nervous system yep. really do go a long way. And along that line is building your movement nutrient base that we've talked about in other podcasts. You know, the episode is called Movement is Nutrition, in case you're yes. curious, dear listener. So the more natural, nutritious movements that you already have as a base, mm -hmm. then the more your nervous system has to draw upon for inspiration in building these new patterns. This is the idea behind that 90s concept of cross-training, if you think about it. And, and the idea that cross-training across sports can cause improvement or across activities can cause improvement in your main one. And this is one of the reasons why. Yeah. As your nervous system wants to recycle. 
Yep. So like we talked about, mm-hmm. it's going to recycle your hardcore worn out states from a hardcore training session and you're sitting on the couch slouching and try mm-hmm. to leverage that. Or if you give it some nutritious, restorative floor sitting, floor sitting, squatting on the floor, things like that, then it has some of those ancestral movements that will give you a lot to build upon. Mm-hmm. All right. What's our third one? Number three is use breath as a guide and a source for feedback. So the breath can be really powerful for working on building new movement patterns. And there's two ways you can do this. One is paired breath. And you might be familiar with that from yoga or qigong, things like movement disciplines like that. That's where, say, you're lifting your arm above your head and you inhale while lifting and exhale while the arm falls back down. Mm. And that can help to open up pathways in efficiently creating that movement with less excessive tension. The other way you can use it is unpaired. That would be, say, working on core stabilization where you listen to the breath as a feedback tool for when you're pushing yourself too hard. So Mm. basically, if you're working on a new movement and it's not paired to your breath and you get to a certain range of motion or you put a, use a certain amount of loading or you get to a certain point in that movement and your breath pattern changes. That is a sign that you're moving into a point where you're no longer in the active learning motor phase. You're in the let me fall back upon an old tension pattern phase. Yep. So just follow the breath in that sense, whether it's dynamically with the movement or just letting the breath happen naturally while you're doing an unrelated movement, either one, you can see where those breath patterns will start to shift once you start moving into old patterns, once you start moving into tension. Yes. All right. Our fourth one is we need to find a balance between how much time we spend doing structured, deliberate movement practice and open movement, this sort of like inquiry-based, explorative, also known right. as play, playful movement. And so number four is our meat and potatoes. Like mm-hmm. how do you build a new movement pattern? Well, you have to do the new movement pattern. Yeah. <laughs> so there's two ways of doing this. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Can, spoiler alert. You've got to do movement patterns to have movement. You can think about that in two ways. Number one would be a st- structured skill acquisition where you are going through steps you're being coached the steps or you're reading what cueing you Mm -hmm. there's cues there's a sequence that you're trying to hit you're trying to go into the squat while keeping your knees from falling in Mm. while keeping your butt from winking prematurely while keeping your head facing forward like the steps that you are training and actively consciously making yourself do That's one way of building a movement pattern. Mm -hmm. The other way is more play. It's playing with movement. It's saying, well, I'm going to squat down and I'm going to see what happens with my movements when I do so. So I'm going to be actively observing, Mm -hmm. but not actively controlling. I'm going to say, oh. It's inquisitive. It's explorative. Mm -hmm. My hip kind of shifts to the left while I squat down like this. I wonder what happens if I shift my hip to the right while I squat down. That's mm-hmm. kind of, that's movement play. Or my big toe feels like it's driving into the floor harder on one side than the other. It's this and the like, other. Let it's me see this what self knowledge, self literacy piece that yes. it also builds. It built and it, that starts to invoke a lot more proprioception mm-hmm. and and gets a lot more neural drivers involved. There's definitely a time and a place for drilling into certain movement sequences for trying to practice. Sure. Okay, this is how I'm going to do this. 
but always try to balance that with some dynamic play of the same movement pattern. Sometimes we get into where we, we structure squat, push, pull, and hinge, but then we play around with all the other stuff later on. And so we, we want to keep it holistic and start to balance that out in mm-hmm. all the movement patterns. If you're structuring a squat session, well, at the end of your, of your set, do a little bit of play that's in relation to that. Yeah, squat down and just see if you can walk across the floor in a deep squat. Or can you lean forward and do, you know, can you balance on your hands? Can you go sideways like a crab? Yeah. The, yes. That Just to give in a couple of examples of the more open inquiry that as would relate to a squat pattern. There's a ton of movement inquiry and play that you can add into your training sessions. And trust me, you can make it just as challenging as the more structured in practice. So for sure. I think globally, can... also one example that comes to mind for this sort of like global play, and you can tell me if you agree with this or not for us, but that very hippie-esque interpretive dance vibe and yes, just moving however yeah. you, your body, just start moving how and then feel however your body wants to Definitely. move. That is, it feels silly at first, but you will find yourself, do it in your room, lock the door, whatever, close your blinds, who cares? You can unlock things and unwind things and reprogram things just from not having a purpose to your movement and just like movement for movement's sake and just like wiggling around however your body exactly. wants to wiggle around. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. And movement play can be that open, the, the hippie-esque, just exploring the movement wherever it leads you. But then mm-hmm. also you think about that the more we get into the actual like athletic endeavors that we may choose, whether that's mm-hmm. fighting or running or jumping or uh, climbing, climbing. trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah the more play actually becomes a part of what you actually are doing in your sport. And so keep keep that leverage of like, there's very much a place for the drills of this is the right way to do it. But, but almost all true athletic endeavors involve a lot of playing with your own body and Mm -hmm. how it best functions for whatever you're trying to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love that. All right. Step five, let's talk about movement resets. Yes. So movement resets are a type of corrective exercise and corrective exercises can include lots of different stuff. (laughs) (laughs) What I, what, what I define a movement reset is, is basically is it's a movement that creates a change in a motor pattern immediately. So it's not something that, oh, after you strengthen your glute for three weeks, Mm -hmm. three weeks, then it changes the movement pattern. Or after you do this mobility thing for three weeks, it changed the movement pattern. This resets pretty much immediately within one session, create a shift in the mode in a motor pattern, mm-hmm. in a movement pattern, without you having to have any conscious recognition of the movement pattern that you're trying to do. So one example I can guide you through to think of is if you're looking at like an overhead pattern and you lay down in a child's pose position. And with put your hands clasped behind your back and then just sit up from the child's child's pose pose to a kneeling position position and lift the arms overhead. And you go go back back and forth like that. An example you can, we can think of is say we're trying to improve the patterning of spinal stabilization. We're trying to improve postural control, trying to improve the anti-rotation when you're moving in space and you don't want to get Cattywampus. Cattywampus. So great word. <laughs> Not used enough. We've got you can do the bird dog drill. So mm-hmm. you get on all fours and 
you lift up one arm and one leg oppositely, which trains the multifidus stabilizers in the spine. And obviously doing that over time will be a strength training exercise. What makes it a reset is that if you just do five reps of bird dog, there's an immediate shift in the spinal stabilization when you go then to do clean and press or some other uh, big movement pattern. By compound so, bilateral movement, yeah. Yeah, so that's what kind of what we're thinking of as a reset. It's a, it's a corrective movement that the nervous system gets the point. The nervous system's ah, we're uh-huh. going to start stabilizing our multifidi without you actually having to consciously, I'm going to stabilize my multifidi, which in that case is a pretty hard one to do. So that's in a nutshell what a reset is. Now, a caveat with this, I would say, and again, you can disagree for us, is that we do this one time in a session or maybe even a practitioner does this to you and causes a passive change. But the question that might come up to you is like, well, why can't I just do that? Why do I got to do all this other shit? That sounds like a lot of work. Right. Can I just do this? Why can't we just do that? Just that part. Because that the reset is, it's temporary. Mm-hmm. It's basically, yeah. oh, it's opening up a new line of reasoning for the motor system. But it's and not going to stick forever, dear li- That's what we're, we're saying. We're not wanting to get better at bird dog necessarily. We're wanting the motor system to take the lesson that bird dog gives us mm-hmm. and put it into our front squat or our clean and press or our larger Mm -hmm. context or whatever movement we're doing. We're wanting, we're wanting that lesson to carry over and Mm -hmm. we're wanting it to carry over right now while we're patterning. We're not wanting to wait till after we've done bird dog for three weeks and we've built up more multifidi strength. Like that's, we're not waiting for that tissue change. We're trying to create a change in the nervous system now. And that's Mm -hmm. what a, that's what we can think of as a reset. And there's lots of examples of movement patterns that you can use. But basically the idea is, is that you find a function that you're trying to shift, you know, something you're having trouble with in a movement, your, your knees falling in while squatting, your postural control, your forward head posture, something a lot of times postural things, things in a pattern that aren't quite right and are really hard to drill out with play and wrote like holding of the same movement yeah so then you find a drill that kind of neurologically unlocks that Mm -hmm. and there's plenty of examples yes and then you do that drill and then you go back and you practice that movement that you're work that you're actually working on again and you just go back and forth like that use the reset then practice your movement use the reset practice your movement and as you practice your movement, that lesson of the reset carries over into your practice. Yes. Oh, number six. So let's number talk about six. our proprioceptors and how we can plug in with our sensory piece. I'm really excited to talk about this part. Yes. So our self-release and our sensory drills. Yes. So along the lines of reset, but we have a whole nother part of our nervous system we can leverage to kind of go lateral to the motor system in movement patterns. And that's our sensory. Yeah. Backdoor. We talked about in the movement is neural episode that our proprioceptors can provide an extra sense of feedback that unlock movement pattern. Mm -hmm. And I think our best, clearest example, an example that I think both of us use most in our practices is using uh, self-release tools or body work as a proprioceptive feedback for 
a holding pattern. So yes, you're held into a tension pattern and you want to move out of that tension pattern in the movement that you're trying to train. Say your shoulders are moved forward from really tight pec minors and you're trying to train a row, which is the opposite movement, mm -hmm. working with a lacrosse ball or a yoga tuna ball on the pec minor, you're speaking to the proprioceptors of pec minor and basically asking it to say, hey, this is the level of tension you're currently having. And then the nervous system is, whoa, that's a lot of tension. Maybe we can take that back by 15%. And then you do the same thing as you would with any reset is then you go and work on your row or whatever movement you're, you're training with the new level of tension, the new level of tension in that area that you use the self-release tool on. Mm -hmm. And I think this is really cool. And I oftentimes, like you were saying, I think we both use this a lot in our practice. I rely on this maybe too much because it's so effective. And then I also is super relevant when we're working with clients who are coming with pain with symptoms because it also yeah. helps dialogue with that aspect of the, the nervous right. system response. So it can be super useful from multiple points. And so I think I end up, we end up leaning on it a lot because it is definitely helping to dialogue with that area and say, hey, does this need to be that tight? Can we lower the tension here? And then, you know, ha you know, hopefully the answer is, like, oh yeah, okay, we can ease up a little. And then you're also in the same exercise in the same breath with that lacrosse ball foam roll or whatever, providing competing sensory input that right. helps with the pain signaling to reduce someone's felt sense of pain. And it's really interesting. In most training, we're having like a direct one-on-one -on -one dialogue with the motor system. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're saying, hey, why don't you try this new way of doing it instead of that old way? And the mm -hmm. motor system's like, I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> you're trying to convince them. Or you're saying, hey, why don't you release the hamstring a little bit while we stretch it? And the motor says, I don't know. You better, you better take it slow. It's this direct thing. Self-release work is like talking to the motor system's sister <laughs> and, <laughs> and saying, hey, would you tell the motor system that they're, that you're their psoas is too tight and they're like oh okay yeah the psoas is pretty tight i'm going to tell the motor system instead of you goes and says hey motor system the psoas is a little tight have you thought about maybe relaxing it and then it's this workaround <laughs> right it's like asking the sister for advice on the best place to take the nervous system on a date you're going to get insider exactly <laughs> and while proprioception, especially through self-release work, is the main way I think we leverage sensation in establishing better movement programs, we also can look at other avenues. We can look at vision drills. We can look mm. at working with the vestibular system through balance drills, through changing the base of support and things like that can also provide another route through that same sensory pathway, just using a different type of sensation. Yeah, lots of ways to plug in. So let's roadmap people a little bit here. So the overarching strategy here, and again, it's not this simple, but I'm going to simplify it for you. I'm going to do an oversimplification for the sake of clarity. When we are trying to build better movement patterns, we are trying to first deprogram and decode the old one, and then insert a new one. And then now yes. we are going to be into the final phase of that. Our last three steps are about reinforcing and challenging yes. the new one so that it sticks, getting the new one yeah. to stick. Because otherwise, again, if we stay in this sort of like malleable space, we are very likely to flop back into our old movement pattern if we're not careful. 
Yes, because we've basically convinced the motor system to try out this new movement pattern. And now we've established it as something we can actually do. Yep. But now if we don't practice that movement pattern, the motor system will still say, well, yeah, we tried that for a week, but let's go back to doing it the way we did it before. So step seven, seven is mindful repetition. So that's uh, practice, practice, practice. And also I think very crucially is integrating the pattern into daily life. Mm -hmm. So these movement patterns that we're building, if we're trying to build natural functional patterns, they'll have carryover into other things besides the thing that we're trying to do with them athletically. So we need to find those things. Our modern life, we've talked about this before with the movement is natural episode, but our modern life has taken away a lot of these movements that used to be part of daily life. But as we're building them, add them back to daily life. Yes, our daily life may not involve a lot of overhead mobility, but add it back. (laughs) Put a hanging bar in or a pull-up bar next to the kitchen and hang out on it for a few seconds every time you walk between the kitchen and whatever room's next to the kitchen. Work on overhead carries. We don't do them a lot. They're actually really comfortable ways of carrying things. So try doing them squat carry your groceries over your head carry your groceries overhead you know looks funny actually pretty efficient way of carrying groceries that gives leaves you a lot less tense and you're working on reestablishing your overhead mobility which you're going to appreciate all of those extra reps that you got for that movement pattern when you go back overhead press next time you Mm -hmm. go Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely find where it can be in real life add that in and that's just adding hundreds of repetitions of the new movement pattern to be reinforced. Yes. Um, And the goal there is to help that transition like we talked about in our episode, Movement is Neural. The goal there is to help facilitate that shift from conscious movement to unconscious movement, from alpha to gamma. We talked about how when you were first doing a movement, you have to put a lot of effort into it and it feels really awkward and clunky. And then the more you do it, the more you do it, the more you do it, it all of a sudden feels less effortful and it feels like you have more flow. And we're trying to help facilitate that shift with this new movement pattern that we have decoded the old one and inserted this new one. And now we have to try and get it to make the shift from conscious to unconscious. Another way that we can leverage sensation and proprioception, but more in the reinforcing stage is with the proprioceptive or kinesiology taping. So getting taped by practitioner, there's some, there's some guides to doing it yourself, but that kind of thing can create a lot of reinforcement to a pattern that you're struggling to get more ingrained in the nervous system. Yes. So there's a lot of bad taping out there friends there's people who use Mm -hmm. taping for i don't even understand they i don't even understand what they're using it for it's like decorative at a certain point so i'm sure it doesn't hurt but like also it's not really doing much for you one of the best uses of taping in our opinion is this gentle non-threatening but consistent proprioceptive feedback on a certain very specific part of your body usually also one that you oftentimes like don't see or don't touch or don't reach frequently in uh, just the course of your day-to-day life i think of like low back or the back of people's knee or whatever so using this extra proprioceptive input to help ingrain a new movement pattern or bring awareness bring awareness bring awareness to the area in general yeah is great yes All right. And And our last one, step nine. Yeah. Oh, with step eight. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. sorry. With step eight, with reinforce, we also need to consider loading. So yeah. So step seven is repetition. 
but step eight is reinforcement through load. Yeah, and which so, basically is like we have the movement pattern now. Now we have to challenge it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Nervous system wants a challenge. It wants a progressive overload. And so that's where our our typical strength and conditioning protocol come in. We need to progressively challenge the movement so that we get better and better at it. And then the more the stronger it gets through through that stress and adversity, the stronger that movement pattern becomes ingrained in the nervous system and the more it becomes a dominant movement pattern. Yes. And just so just to keep with the example of squats, if you have corrected something in your squat pattern, then now the challenge is, can you keep the new correct form? We'll call it correct for the sake of this conversation. Can you keep the new correct form under increased weights? Can you keep it if you do a squat on one leg? Can you keep it if you are doing some sort of unconventional version of a squat? Can you keep it in different contexts? That becomes the question after we have resolved or deprogrammed the old movement pattern and inserted a new one. Yes, exactly. All right, now number nine. What do we got to do for step nine? Step nine is find things that make the movement real for you. This kind of goes into a concept that's coming around in the uh, coaching world called dynamic skill acquisition, Mm. which is an idea that we need to embody meaning into the way we do our movements. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, And I think this kind of, this moves back into what we already covered in step two, which is make the movements real. The realer the movement, the more the movement has a meaning, the more the movement has an application to the real things in your life, Mm -hmm. the real things in your life or, or to play or to something Mm. that is tangible in the nervous system as not being the exercise that you're practicing. The more you do that, the more these movement patterns are going to become just just a part of what you're trying to establish and just yes. a part of you. So Absolutely. don't forget to make your movements something that you feel like are a part of you. It's not, it's, it's not about doing the movement. It's about like being the movements. Yes. I can think of the example from my language learning days and my study abroad days where it's, that's one of the reasons studying abroad is such an effective way to learn language. Not only are you surrounded by it all the time, AKA repetition, repetition, repetition. But also there's a term for it in comparative linguistics that I can't think of right now, but it's the cognitive need for learning that language. When that is high, the likelihood that you're going to recall and remember and be able to use that is also very high. So if you think about if you're not going to get to eat dinner unless you can figure out a way to order dinner in in the new language, your brain is very motivated to remember those phrases and words. And unfortunately we can't, put those kind of strains on our movements, which would be really cool if we had to. Like, yeah. I mean, in some way, maybe, but <laughs> I mean, maybe, but you still can try to create a situation where you can use these movements for, for reality, for mm-hmm. as, as you. Yep. And, and it's super exciting. So the first time you're like, oh, I did a, I had to use my overhead press to pick this log up. And then I had to carry it with a shoulder carry because I was chopping wood <laughs> like that. That can be very satisfying, very Mm -hmm. satisfying. Oh, wow. I may have trained this movement because I wanted X, Y, or Z, but now this movement is it's in my toolkit and I can use this movement whenever I want. If I was like in a survival situation in the woods, woods, I'd be able to, you know, deadlift this stump. Mm -hmm. It's silly as it sounds because of our modern privilege of disembodied. Yeah. Disembodied movement. Mm -hmm. It is an exciting 
and really effective thing that can be added into training. And your brain really likes it too. Yep. All right, friends. This has been the Move Nourish podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I am Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. And we will catch you next time. 